Well, good day, Reconciliation Road Church. I'm glad to be able to have a, a few minutes with you now. Uh, just recently, I've been spending a bit of time thinking about how our hearts and our heads are just so full of emotions and experiences. And these are very complicated days. We, we don't need to go into how they are complicated. It feels like in every conversation we have with anyone else, we're talking about how complex and difficult these moments are. So rather, I, I want to help us and take just a few minutes to give us a few keys that would unlock doors in terms of how we are able to express what's going on in our hearts so that we can continue to have healthy hearts, even when we are grieving or experiencing a loss or worried or fearful or stressed or any number of complex realities that are happening for us at the moment. This came true to me last week. Last week I heard that one of the learners in my class last year had suddenly unexpectedly lost their dad. And due to some experiences that, that Knox and I have had recently, it hit me very hard, that news. And I just spent hours thinking about how is this 12, maybe 13-year-old meant to handle with the loss of, of that magnitude, of that, that seriousness, that intensity. It was her dad. And I just spent hours thinking, God, this is so difficult for us to process, let alone someone who is young. And it led me to think of a few ways that we could push each other to help each other process and deal with our hearts. And so I'm going to give you three ways to help you lament healthily. Before I do that, let me just explain what that word lament means. If you've been checking in on our Sunday services recently, you would have heard us use that word a lot, the word lament. But what is lament? Some of us will know it, some of us would have never have heard the word before. Well, a lament is a type of prayer. You know there are different ways and types of, of prayers, right? Hey? Like there's a, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise, there's a prayer where we give petitions and ask things of God, there are prayers of intercession where we pray for other people and other events and nations and, and issues. And there is another type of prayer that is a lament. A lament is giving words, uh, being able to vocalize the, the grief and the sorrows and the disappointments that you and I are currently going through. It's kind of like God knew we would need help with this. It's like he knew that this, these emotions would be in our hearts because he said that we would have trouble in this world and yet he wanted a way for us to not just have them in our hearts but to be able to express our hearts and that is what a lament is. And as we express our emotions that are in our hearts to God, we also express something of what we are believing God is like and what God is doing in that moment. And so as you communicate the, the sorrow that is in your heart, you are also communicating what you are choosing to believe of God in that moment. Laments are a very common expression of believers of Jesus, a very common expression of their faith. You see, the, the biggest book in the Bible is a book full of prayers. And in the biggest book of the Bible, this book of prayers, it's like God knew we would need help in praying laments because over a third of those prayers are laments. In the Psalms, there are at least 42 individual laments and 16 corporate laments, the, the people of God coming together, a, a corporate gathering and them, them praying laments together. 
so over a third of the Psalms in the biggest book of the Bible are Psalms of lament. It might be worth just flicking through a few of them over the days ahead. A theologian, R.W.L. Mobley, that's a long name. <laughs> he, he notes this about uh, laments in the book of Psalms. The predominance of laments in the heart of Israel's prayers mean that the problems and the sufferings that cause laments are not unusual. Rather, they are actually central to the life of faith. Your suffering, your sorrow is a central part of our life that we are living in faith in Jesus. Moreover, he continues, they show that the experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of deficient faith. It's not something to be outgrown or put behind. Rather, they are intrinsic to the very nature of faith. Did, did you hear that? Did, did you catch that? I hope you did. What he's saying is that struggling is normal. Just because you're struggling with something doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean that you are weak. It's not a sign of deficient faith. Sometimes what we have to deal with is we have to reject the taboo of lament. We have to reject the, oh, can I say this to God? Can I, can I pray this kind of a thing? Is, will he be mad? Will he be angry? Will he receive it? We, we reject that because we have so many examples in the book of Psalms of people who lament and they pray things like, how long, O Lord, and you did this to me, God. It's like God is showing us here right now in the middle of whatever we are going through that he's almost big enough to take it, that he can take it, and that he actually wants us to honestly express what our struggles are. It's almost like He's not going to run away from us in those moments. And so I want to just quickly give you three different keys, three different ways that you and I can help to, to, to grow in lament. Key number one is understand. Understand what is going on in your heart. Tim Keller in his book on prayer says, prayer shows you your heart because when you pray, you bow down and you open yourself up to God. That is what a prayer is. You are recognizing there is someone bigger than yourself. And it's almost like you can't put a mask on when you're speaking to the God who can see everything. There's no invisibility cloak that you can tuck under and hide from him. He will see, he knows, he already knows. So prayer actually shows you what he already knows, but maybe you didn't know about your own heart. John Calvin wrote about the Psalms that Psalms of lament are a window into our soul. And you see, sometimes the things we go through, they're so complicated that our hearts have a hard time catching up with our heads. And so we don't even realize all of the things that are going on in our hearts, all of the emotions, all of the, the way that we've been processing this event here or this event here. You see, it takes time for us to slow down, to be still before God. And as we are still before God and we remember how big he is and how much above it all and transcendent and glorious he is, it's, it's like we don't just see him, we see ourselves, but now we see ourselves in a different way. To understand that we can experience multiple emotions and realities simultaneously. 
our hearts are sometimes more complicated than our heads. I, I had uh, an experience of this last week, a funny experience of this. I was uh, in the family home with Nokwazi's family and uh, my, my little niece, my, my wife's uh, sister's daughter, uh, she for some reason hasn't liked me up until now. Now, I don't know why, I feel like I'm a likeable guy, um, perhaps a little shy at sometimes, maybe support controversial football teams, but I feel like I'm a relatively likeable guy. However, for an 18-month-old baby, I wasn't likeable, you know? And so everyone else in the family, she's like, ah! And then I walk in the door and she's like, ah! Like just deadpan face. And so I decided in the week that we were there as a family that I would make it my mission to make this child like me. Like enough was enough. I was scared of the deadpan face. I, I was gonna get her to like me. And so uh, my mission for the week was to play with her and do lots of fun things. Uh, at the beginning, she was a bit skeptical. I, I did this copying game. So she would do something and then I would copy her, right? And uh, I think after a while, she realized how much power she had over me because she started making me do some very weird things. So eventually she would tap her cheek and I would have to hit my cheek and hit my head and suddenly I'm looking underneath my legs and rolling around. I, she was definitely manipulating me and seeing just how embarrassing I would go. And then there was a moment right at the end of the week where I knew that I had won her over. And that was when she had come running up to me and she wanted me to throw her in the air, you know, like babies love to go oh, fly in the air and then get caught and then fly in the air and get caught. So I did that with her and I knew I had changed her heart towards me. She was bubbly and excited. And the first time I threw her up, she was like, I don't know if you can hear that in the recording, but I hope you can hear how just high pitched I went. And then the second time I throw her up and she's like, bubbly, yeah, this is amazing. And then the third time I throw her up and her excitement kind of overwhelms her or overwhelms the muscles in her mouth. And then as I catch her and she comes down, there's this like saliva bomb that goes off in my face. And I'm just holding my, my baby niece from a distance. Like I've just been hit by a tidal wave of saliva and I don't really trust her mouth and what goes into her mouth. You know, she'll pick up a rock and mud and start sucking it. I'm like, simultaneously, this is the grossest thing that's happened to me this holidays. And it, but I'm also really happy because I got her to like me. My mission was mission successful. Mission impossible, accomplished. And in that moment, I was feeling two things. I was conflicted. Am I really happy that I, I've got a really good relationship now? Or am I just, really disgusted that there's something really disgusting all over my faith and it's this baby spit. I was going through multiple emotions at the same time. And friends, if you and I aren't careful in this current season when so much is going on around us and it's like bad news at every corner, yet the promise of a new year and, and, and maybe restrictions uh, are hitting our industry or being relaxed from our industry, we, you might not realize how complicated your own heart is at the moment. You might not realize that there are multiple expressions, uh, multiple realities that are going on simultaneously. Friends, our honest laments should reflect the complexities that are going on in our hearts. 
in Jeremiah chapter 3, we have a demonstration of this complexity. Sorry, that's Lamentations 3. Jeremiah is the guy who wrote the book. And so Jeremiah is lamenting, and he's lamenting that the thing that he has worked for and sacrificed everything for his whole life, the restoration of Israel, has become a failure. You see, in 597 BC, Israel is invaded and overtaken. Jerusalem is ransacked and destroyed, and the people of God have fallen into exile. This is everything that Jeremiah the prophet had given his life to try and avoid, but it has happened. I wonder how he was looking at his whole life, knowing what has just occurred. In Lamentations chapter 3, he gives a lament that is dark. It, it's hard. It's it's difficult to read now. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been to have written? In verse 1 he writes, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. In verse 4, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. In verse 7, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Can you hear the poetic language that is the honest expression of what is going on in his heart and he believes that his God is big enough to be able to handle that. But he changes tact over the course of Lamentations chapter 3. You see in verse 31 he writes, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart, we'll come back to that later, or grieve his own children. Do you see, in, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 31, both grief and compassion at the same time. Somehow God is causing grief and yet being compassionate, and both things are true at the same time. Our hearts are more complicated than we realize. Our faith is more complicated. Our God is more complicated. And yet somehow there is still compassion and still hope and still love, all true at the same time. And so the more you and I lament, the more you and I can get to understand our own heart, the more we see of ourselves. That was the longest key, the first one, understand your heart. Key number two is express, express your heart. Some of you might roll your eyes right now if you know me pretty well because you know that this is my favorite story in the Bible and I think that this woman is remarkable. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read of Hannah and her honest expressions of her heart after a prolonged period of suffering. You see, in verse 7, we read that her suffering has been year after year, multiple years. In verse 10, as she's praying, we read that she is deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So she was distressed, she was weeping bitterly, and she was praying. Let me just read that one more time. Deeply distressed and prayed. So it means that her distress automatically resulted in her prayer. She links the two together. They are inseparable. She is distressed, so she prays. She weeps bitterly, so she prays. The automatic reaction and instinct of her heart is to pray. It's a prayer of lament. 
She didn't have to think twice about it. She didn't have to think, oh, I must turn my pain into prayer. She just does it. She has an inbuilt, internal understanding that she can't deal with her situation, but God can, and so she must turn to him. And so she expresses herself. In verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart. And then possibly my favorite verse in the Bible, verse 15, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. I know that some of you have heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again because it's so beautiful. I can't think of a better phrase that expresses devotion to Jesus in the midst of pain and suffering than I poured out my heart to the Lord. It's directed to someone and it is a pouring out. It is a movement, an expression. It doesn't stay internally inside of her. It's like she expresses everything, every thought, every emotion, every situation. She pours it out and she lays it down. She is not absorbed by the anguish that she is feeling. Rather, she is expressing it. And as she expresses her heart, she is also expressing faith in the one that she's believing can change and redeem her heart and the situation that she is in. So key one was understand. Key two is express. The final key, the, kind of, the final helpful thing that I want to leave you with is fortify. Understand your heart, express your heart, and now fortify your heart. You see, what you do after you express your heart is just as important as the fact that you do express your heart. Where you go, what you choose to rest in, those things matter. And so, going back to Lamentations 3 and the troubles of Jeremiah, right in the center of Lamentations, right in the center is chapter 3, and right in the center of the chapter, in the center of the book, therefore the cornerstone of the whole thing is Jeremiah fortifying himself, not with an expression of his emotion, but with eternal truth that he knows will stand the test of time. He gives us a statement of fortifying truth that Jeremiah chooses to be his cornerstone, fortifying truth that he chooses to rest on above and beyond the temporary subjective emotions that are currently in his heart. In verse 21, he writes, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I wonder if Jeremiah was overlooking the smoldering smoke of a desolated city when he said, great is your faithfulness. I wonder where he was when he wrote those words. I wonder if when he was penning the thoughts, he thought of the desolation of of Jerusalem or the exile and the people marching off into the great uh, and terrible walls of Babylon. I wonder if he managed to hold on to faith and say, great is your faithfulness. Even when, remember, in verse 4, he said, it feels like you've broken my bones. In verse 24, he writes, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Do you hear Jeremiah's fortification 
It's in the character and the everlasting person of Jesus. We touched on that recently, didn't we? I am sure that he doesn't feel steadfast in this moment, and yet in some strange and wonderful way, realizing that there is a steadfast God holding on to him makes Jeremiah steadfast. You see, somehow holding on to the God who is steadfast makes you steadfast, even though you know by yourself you are not steadfast. And so, friends, after you have expressed your heart, fortify your heart. Anchor yourself in God's eternal nature, unchanging. It was true before and will be true after what we are going through. Rather, anchor yourself not on your temporary and ever-changing emotions and thoughts, rather anchor yourself on who he is. He is the God who draws near to the brokenhearted. He is the God who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is the God who isn't scared of your weakness because it displays his strength. He is the God who runs towards you, not away from you, when you share vulnerably and emotionally and openly even your doubts and your fears. He is the God who, he is the God of the unbroken bruised reed and the unquenched smoldering candle. He is the God who understands weakness because he became weakness so that he could offer you his strength. So friends, fortify yourself in truth. Fortify yourself in the everlasting word of God. Don't trust, don't put your trust in anything weaker, shallower or cheaper than his everlasting nature. Friends, let's lament well together in these times. Be raw, be vulnerable, understand your heart, express your heart and then fortify your heart. And then let's do it all again and let, let's do it to express faith in him. Let's do it to glorify him. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father God, we come before you as our Father. We cry out, Abba, Father. We are able to speak to you intimately and deeply. We are your children. And some of us are your children who are hurting right now. Some of us are your children who really want to fortify ourselves, but might need some help to do so. Thank you, Lord, that when we don't hold on to you, you still hold on to us. I pray that there would be many of us in this church who know the great shepherd is carrying us on his shoulders, who knows that the God of mercies and of all comfort is coming quickly with comfort that we would know the everlasting Father who was eternal before this pandemic and will be eternal after this pandemic, the one who has already secured our eternal destinies, who, who has rendered us immovable and unshakable in his glorious and wonderful steadfastness. I pray that you, mighty God, would be close to us. Would you not be far from us? Would there be a fortification of our souls that you have promised to be close to the brokenhearted and that as we draw close to you, we know that you draw close to us. Help us to lament well and help us to lament in a way where we don't absorb, but we express and help us to lament well so that we wouldn't think of ourselves all the time, 
but that we would continue to be the children of God, comforted by him and therefore commissioned by him to be able to testify of hope and courage in difficult times. I know I cannot do this unless I lament before you. I pray that we would be a lamenting church so that we can be a faith-filled church, so that we can be a commissioned church in dark days. Thank you, Lord. You're always with us. Amen. Amen.